facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Tremendous Thursday to you. So happy that you're with me on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let me give out that phone number for you to call right now. Get on that keypad. Dial 888-914-9149 if you want to have a take about what we're going to talk about today on the show. And I'll fill you in on what that is in just a moment. 888-914-9149 is a toll-free line. You can also email the program. It's always so good to hear from you. Get your questions, get your comments, show ideas, become a shadow producer of the show. We're still working on getting t-shirts made for the shadow producers you can email me. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, slash the X app, the everything app. And you can follow me at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E on Twitter. So good to be with you. So much to talk about on this Thursday. You probably heard that Sinead O'Connor, the Irish singer who famously uh, tore up a picture of Pope John Paul II on Saturday Night Live in 1992. I watched it live. I stayed up way too late uh, most nights in high school, and uh, whether it's watching the David Letterman show or Saturday Night Live, back when it was actually kind of funny, um, that that was uh, anything but a funny moment. That was uh, met with absolute silence and a lot of consternation. Uh, a very troubled soul. Uh, we need to pray for her repose. Um, We'll talk about this later. Sinead O'Connor passed away at the age of 56 yesterday. Also, also, we're going to talk about the incredible story. It's one of the most fun stories of the year, I think. The other American team at the World Cup of Soccer for the ladies. It's a team from the Philippines, which is basically almost 100% U.S. made up of Americans. So we'll, we'll talk about that, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Trust me, you're going to want to stick around for that story. And once again, that number to call, 888-914-9149, Faith, Facts, and Fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And I do want to talk about this. This is an interesting question uh, based on the gospel today. We've heard about, obviously, really recently for the Sunday gospel, the parable of the sower, which is really the, the granddaddy of all the parables that Jesus tells. And, and in today's gospel, it raises the question, did Jesus intentionally hide the truth? the truth of the gospel, the way to salvation from some people. People people will often say that. People often suggest that based on what it says in Matthew chapter 13. And for the next few days uh, in the readings, we're going to once again look at the parables. Parable of the Sower is going to come up tomorrow uh, for the reading on Friday. But in Matthew chapter 13, this is today's gospel, Jesus talks about why he teaches using this method. Is he going to, is he like the Riddler in Batman? <laughs> I, I used to love Batman comics as a kid and the movies as well. And remember that really, it was one of the corny Batman movies with Val Kilmer as Batman and, and things were kind of over the top, to say the least. Batman Forever, Jim Carrey was the Riddler, Canadian Jim Carrey. Uh, and of course, he's always trying to create puzzles for Batman, the great detective, to figure out uh, but having said that, is that what Jesus is trying to do here? Is he trying to make it difficult for people? It says, Then the disciples came and asked him. This is right after he told the parable of the sower in Matthew's Gospel. Then the disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. 
but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That, that doesn't seem like something that Jesus would want to do. The reason I speak to them in parables, he continues, is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen, but never understand, and you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their hearts, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Okay, so it seems as if uh, the truth is being shrouded in these parables, so that some people will see and really not see, and hear and really not hear, and they won't turn and be forgiven. So why would God want this situation to take place? Well, I don't think that he does. I don't think that's really what's going on here. But let, let's let, let's get back to, and you're going to hear about this a little bit tomorrow. So in, in Matthew's text, it's kind of reversed here. So um, tomorrow you're going to hear about the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. But really this comes before Jesus talking about why he teaches in parables. And so let's just look really quickly at the parable of the sower, Matthew's version here. It's really quick. It's only nine verses. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he, and he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among, among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Okay, so first of all, why is Jesus teaching in a boat? Um, well, he's actually doing it for a really good reason. And the reason is simply this, and, and we, you see this especially when you read when you read the Gospel of Mark. About twenty five percent of the population was really, really sick, like really sick, and they didn't have uh, any kind of corporate health care plans back in those days. And uh, there are plenty of people that don't have them now, and, and they're in dire straits. Well, twenty five percent of the population is very, very sick with various diseases, and Jesus is a one man walking free healthcare clinic. People are being healed. From very serious stuff simply by grabbing onto the the hem of his garment and power is going out from him so wherever he went he, he's got this great reputation as a healer as an exorcist he's casting out demons everybody wants a piece of him everybody wants to touch him but here's the thing no matter what kind of healing you get from jesus even if it's stupendous as being raised from the dead uh, as he did with his friend lazarus he resuscitated him he wasn't resurrected he was going to die again and that's the point Everybody that got healed was eventually going to die again, or you know, or die once if they hadn't died the first time yet, and they certainly don't want to do that more than once. But, but having said that, people who are sick, even if he heals them, are going to get sick again. So the main thing is I've got to get them set up for eternal life, because yes, there will be an ultimate healing of the body as well, the resurrection of the body on the last day. But the soul comes first 
and then we worry about the physical stuff. Jesus does both, of course, obviously. But the danger is the message of the kingdom is going to get lost amidst the the show, whether it's dinner and a movie, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, whether it's, uh, the, you know, the filet fish sandwiches, if you will, uh, whether it's the, the, the healings, as important as they are, he has to get the message of the kingdom out because that's what's going to set people up for ultimate healing for all eternity. So that's why he goes into the boat because the crowds are pressing on. He gets into the boat and he pushes off from the shore and, and they, he's got a captive audience now. They're all standing there. They've got to listen to him. They have to listen to them uh, as he's uh, in the boat on the sea here. And now you could also say there's a symbolic aspect to this. He's in the boat. Most people think it's Peter's fishing boat that he's teaching from teaching from the bark of Peter, B-A-R-Q-U-E, it means boat. Uh, it's, a, it's a metaphor for the church. Yes, that's true, too, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But it's really about, it could be called, the parable of the sower could really be called the parable of the soils. And in Mark's version of this, when the disciples don't understand what it's all about, he's like, well, and I'm paraphrasing Jesus here, obviously. He says, Guys, don't you get this? Because if you don't understand this one, you're not going to be able to understand any of the parables. This is the granddaddy of all the parables. So if you get, can get this one, you can get all the others. And what's really cool about this, too, the, the types of soil, it's really the, the, the response that you're giving to this seed of the gospel, the seed of God's word. And it's really the heart, the, the dispositions of each one. And what's really interesting, too, is that Jesus, once again, he's in perfect continuity with the Old Testament, properly understood. There are all these different interpretations of Scripture, right? But he's got the right one. He's got the right one. And again, if Jesus was, his teaching was coming completely out of left field, nobody would have thought he was the Messiah. It is in continuity with salvation history. Think about this. Think about this. This idea of the soil, well, the Word of God in the Old Testament how is it described in the book of Isaiah? Rain and snow. The word of God is like rain and snow that gives seed to the sower, and it does not fail to accomplish the purpose for which God sent it. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. But here's another one. Here's another one that most people don't even know about. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 3. It says, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Break up your fallow ground. Do not sow among thorns. That's really interesting. See what I mean? People don't even know about these verses in the Old Testament. So when Jesus talks about sowing amongst the thorns, there's a scriptural background for this. Here, here's another one. Now, unfortunately, this isn't in the Bible. This is from a book called For Ezra, the fourth book of Ezra. It's not in the Bible, so why am I talking about it? Well, it's not biblical. But it was kind of in the ether. This is stuff people were reading back in the day. Um, this is a very well-known Jewish book. It wasn't on the level of sacred scripture, but people knew about it, and people talked about it all the time. It says in For Ezra, For just as the farmer sows many seeds in the ground and plants a multitude of seedlings, and yet not all that have been sown will come up in due season. Not all that were planted will take root so also those who have been sown in the world will not all be saved. End of quote. Wow, that, that is an exact, that's an exact representation of what Jesus is trying to do here. Uh, in that book, for the fourth book of Ezra, and Jesus would have at least known about this idea because it was kind of out there. Uh, 
this idea that not every plant that has is growing is going to take root and, and not all the souls that have been sown into the world by God will, will be saved. And this is really, this is really intriguing. So, so this is an idea that was definitely not unfamiliar to Jesus's listeners. And so Jesus ends this parable. He says, Hey, if anyone has ears, let this person listen. And he, and he says it all the time. If you've got ears, use them. <laughs> and Cardinal Collins always likes to say, Hey, God gave us one mouth and two ears and two eyes. So we should probably be, you know, listening twice as much as we're speaking. That could be a clue. It could be a clue. And we should be reading the word of God a lot more than, than we're spouting forth our own opinions. So, and then this obviously leads to the question, okay, if you've got ears, listen. Why is it that people don't listen? Why is it that people aren't responding to the parables? And, and this is where Jesus kind of gives this enigmatic teaching in, in today's gospel where it seems like he's hiding stuff. The reason why I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. He goes on to say, This people's heart has grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. So, what what is the deal here? Um, is it that Jesus really doesn't want people to know is it that you know only the, the disciples can be the insiders, and he, you know, everybody else just kind of listens and scratches their head and says, "Huh, that's that's not really what's going on here." Now, why is it that the insiders, the disciples, why do they get to understand the mysteries of the kingdom or the secrets of the kingdom? It kind of depends on what translation you're using. And, and then he's going to go on in the next little bit here to explain the parable of the sower, what it really means. He says, look, if you're, if you're an insider, if you're a have as opposed to a have not, you're going to get even more. And it doesn't seem fair. Those who have will get even more. They'll have an abundance. They'll be have a super abundance of the truth. But, but other people, outsiders, they don't have it. And even what they think they have is going to be taken away from them. That, what, what is he really saying by this? What does this really mean? What he's saying is that there is no, you can't be neutral towards Jesus and his teaching. And you're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 You can't just say, eh, you can't just say meh when it comes to Jesus. Either you accept the message in its totality and you act on it. You don't just listen to it. You actually put it into practice. And this is really what it's all about, putting it into practice, right? Either you accept it and put it into practice or you reject it. And, and there will be consequences for that. Nobody gets away with anything. You know, I was having this conversation with a, with a friend uh, about how it seems like, and even scripture talks about this, how it seems like the wicked get away with everything and they, they prosper and they never get punished. And it seems that way to human eyes. But, but God will have his justice in the end. There's no question about that. But, but they're, not, they're not getting away with anything even in this life. If they're breaking the commandments, it's going to have... You can't break the commandments, as, as has been often said. You can only break yourself against them. It's like the laws of gravity. You can try jumping off a building and pretending you're Superman. Well, you, you know what's going to happen. And in the same way, it, it will have deleterious effects in your life when you break the laws of God. They're like the laws of nature. They're there, whether you like it or not. And it's going to have deleterious effects in your life if you break them. But not only if you reject the teaching of Jesus... Not only are you going to suffer the consequences for that in this life, but you yourself are going to suffer that you yourself will be rejected 
for all eternity. You did it to yourself. And this is what C.S. Lewis said in one of his books. He said, the door to hell is locked from the inside. It's not so much that God sends people there. He wants everybody to be saved. But he, he has given us freedom. And hell is kind of the great monument to human freedom, that people chose themselves, their pride, their ego, their sins, their, their pet whatever, instead of the truth of God. They preferred it. They preferred it. And that's why he says it's locked from the inside. So Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parable. He, parables. He lays it out. That seeing they do not perceive, hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. Nor do they understand. And here's, here's an important way that Matthew, again, we talked, to, talked about how kind of Matthew takes Mark's gospel and he changes a few things here and there. And he's not changing the teaching of Jesus. He's trying to just make it more clear maybe than Mark has it because Mark is a little bit confusing sometimes when he, when he writes. It's not that he's a knucklehead or anything. It's just that Greek is not his first language. So Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew changes it to because, essentially, because. I speak to outsiders in parables, says Jesus, because they will not see, because they will not listen or understand. Now, in Mark, it says, I speak to them in order that they don't see and hear. Now, that's not really what Jesus means. Matthew says, because. I speak to the outsiders in parables because they won't see and because they will not listen. It's because of them. It's because they don't want to listen. They don't want to see. If you, if you do want to see, you'll be able to figure it out. If you do want to listen, you'll be able to understand. So this is not God trying to play games with people, trying to hide the message. It's not extreme Calvinism. Probably if you've heard about the Protestant tradition of Calvinism started by John Calvin, Johannes Calvin, he didn't think that Martin Luther went far enough in his uh, reformation or revolt against the Catholic Church. And so he, he said, no, 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 we've got, we, he, he created this thing called double predestination. The extreme Calvinists will believe this, that God predestines some people to heaven and he predestines other people to hell. He, 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 he creates their souls and, and, and he knows that the, at the end of the day, they're going to reject him and go to hell. And he actually predestines this for them. That is not the God that we worship. And so this is not what Jesus is doing either. He's not being capricious. He's not uh, shielding the message so that people can never figure it out. What he, what he is doing is he's trying to test the soil of your heart to figure out what you really want. Do you really want the gospel? Do you really want God? Do you really want to be obedient to him? And, and that's really what, it, what it's all about. So the people's hearts are already closed to the message. It's not that, that, that God is doing it to them. And that's why they won't do it. And this, this is, again, this is what, what, what uh, Jesus says here, and he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6. But this people's heart has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears, with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. They, they've hardened their own hearts, essentially. They've hardened their own hearts. And, and there's nothing here, there's nothing in the text saying that the crowds actually, you know, had questions here. J Jesus, you know, can you please explain this? I mean, maybe some people asked him. We don't really know. It's, it's not talked about. Maybe they didn't want to know. And, and many people are in this boat today. They don't actually want to, to ask the question because they know that if they do, 
they might have to change their ways and they really just don't want to go there they really just don't want to go there but like i said ignorance is not bliss you might think well if i were to find out about this then i'd have to be obedient to it but if you just kind of go on your merry way now, you are still going to suffer the penalties in this life of, of going against reality, the way things actually are. Because if God exists and he set up the world, which we believe he did, and he knows how it's supposed to work, and when you go against him, you're only hurting yourself. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. So I just think it's really interesting. But So the bottom line is, the answer to the question is that Jesus is not trying to make it difficult for people. He's not hiding the message from certain people. He doesn't predestine anyone to reject it. No, people do it to themselves. They simply don't want to know. So let's make sure that we're not in that camp. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We will be right back with a really fun story. So stay tuned. If you have a comment, question about this, want to have a take, 888-914-9149. Be right back. Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. Teams making their way out onto the field. The Philippines, the line about them, it's movie-like. It's Wrexham without the superstar movie moguls running it. Well, can they get promoted, if you will, out of the group stage and into the knockout stage as the Philippines get set to make their Women's World Cup debut? Right, we'll talk about that in just a minute. This is, a, this is an incredible story about how the other American team at the Women's World Cup in New Zealand and Australia is actually the Philippine national team. I'll explain. It's, it's, it's intriguing. And there, there are many uh, Catholics from a Filipino background who I'm sure will have a take on this, 888-914-9149. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I do want to get back to uh, what we were talking about just before the break because we've got some phone calls here, 888-914-9149 on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We are talking about Jesus, why he teaches in parables. Is he trying to hide stuff from people? The answer is no. <laughs> but uh, a lot of you guys have questions about that. Let's go back to the phones right now. Let's go to Joe in Troy, Michigan, in the Detroit area, where we have a couple of news stations on our relevant radio network. Hi. Welcome to the program, Joe. Well, thank you for taking my call, sir. I have a question. It's in regard to predestination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's uh, the teaching of the church that uh, there are certain people that are created by God that are predestined to go to heaven. Now, I could be wrong, but if I, that is correct, where where does the free will come in? Yeah, well, that's a good question, Joe. And I, I would say, like, everyone's kind of predestined to go to heaven in the sense that God wants uh, all people to go to heaven. That's his, that's his dream for all of us, that we become saints. And anybody who's in heaven is a saint, so we want to make sure that we, we get there. And, and so uh, sanctity is not optional. Having said that, having said that, um, he has given us free will. He has given the human race free will. And, and, and sin, again, is, is great evidence of that. He even gave free will to the angels. Those who rebelled against him uh, became demons, fallen angels. And so people, people often ask the question, Joe, why, why would God be so extravagant in, in sowing the seed of the gospel when he knows that certain people, their hearts are going to be you know, closed to him, they, they don't want to listen? Why, why even bother sowing that seed? And 
It's interesting because something that Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, because he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. All have received, even even those whose hearts are far from God, have received so many blessings. They may not acknowledge the source of those blessings, but this is interesting. This is God's character, and and I and I'm I'm assuming here that He's hoping and praying that they'll see Him in in the good things that He's given. I remember G.K. Chesterton, the the great English convert to the faith, um, when he was writing about his conversion to Catholicism. One of the things he said was that in initially looking for God, part of it was because he had no one to give thanks to for all of the great many blessings in his life. You know, his, his wife, his, his intellect, everything that he, that he enjoyed in life, and he certainly enjoyed life to the full. He really had no one to thank for for any of this, and that, that was part of the, the spur that got him looking for God. And he eventually found his way uh, into the Catholic Church, and so God simply respects our freedom on that front. He also, I think, he wants us to keep sowing the seed, just as God always does. He's very liberal and generous uh, as he sows the seed of his goodness in the world and gives good things to all people. And, and we got to do that, too. Even if we get a bad response or, or no response or, or a hostile response, that shouldn't deter us. We shouldn't take it personally. It's not personal. Uh, people's reactions to God is not nothing to do with us. And so we, we, our job is simply to be faithful, and that's, that's what we have to do. But, um, so I, I think it's a really important question, Joe, and I, I'm really glad that you called in. I hope that helps. Okay. All well, right, that helped, and I appreciate the show. Thank you. Hey, you got it, Joe. Thanks for listening. You call back anytime. Joe in Michigan, in Troy, Michigan, in the Detroit area. And so uh, that, that's us. awesome. It's so great that we have... Uh, a couple of stations now in the Motor City area and our ever-expanding relevant radio network. We have about 200 stations nationwide with more to come. I want to blanket uh, the United States of America with the good news and the world through the Internet, through our app. Download the relevant radio app if you haven't already with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go now to Sandy in Corona, California. Hi, Sandy. Hi, how are you? Well, um, my question is actually pretty much, pretty much I need a clarification of what you sure. said mm-hmm. if i understand correctly you said that this scripture that you are referring to is mm-hmm. talking about there is a mis- mistranslation here that it that's not what this scripture was supposed to be well, that was not the meaning of the scripture it was not supposed to be written that way but it was a mistranslation so is that correct is that what it says that and is that uh. supposed to say that I wouldn't say it's a mistranslation. I would just say that in Matthew, and again, this this goes into the relationship. It's a really interesting question. Like if you read the four Gospels in the Bible, especially the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's kind of a different animal. You notice immediately there are a lot of similarities between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's why they're called the synoptic Gospels, which means it's a word that means seeing as if through one eye, on the same ground. And Scott, uh, generally think that and people there is there's sort of this i guess um dissenting argument sort of minority view that's out there that you know, maybe there's a different order but most scholars including the top catholic bible scholars say that mark mark's gospel was written first he was kind of peter's scribe 
And uh, that's why his gospel is in part so important, because it's Peter's memoirs. He's the first pope. And that Matthew and Luke basically use Peter, uh, or sorry, use Mark as a source when they're writing their gospels. And they kind of go with Mark's order of things. And then stuff he doesn't talk about, they add some stuff into it. Now, some people think that, uh, like, Matthew wrote first. And they have arguments for it. I'm not saying they're all bad arguments, but and that Mark just cut some stuff out of his gospel and made it a lot shorter. Well, why on earth would you cut out the Sermon on the Mount? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's awesome. Like, why would you not want to have that? Uh, it's more likely that uh, Mark wrote first, and for, there's a lot of other reasons for this, which, I, which we don't have time to get into now. But, but I think when, when Matthew was writing his gospel, he just wanted to um, clarify maybe some stuff that wasn't so clear in Mark, uh, and that, that's why he sort of uses this different word when he's writing to make it very clear that it's the people listening that have closed their hearts to the gospel, not that God is closing their hearts or closing their eyes. But this is why we, why we need the church too, um, Sandy, and the magisterium of the church, the teaching office of the church, because I remember when I was in the Protestant seminary, we took a, I took a course about this. And I read, uh, I mentioned Calvinism earlier, and I read a book on salvation that was from a Calvinist perspective, with this idea that God predestines people to hell, which is not true. But I'm telling you what, the guy who wrote this book, he pulled a lot of quotes from the Bible, and, and if you read that book and you didn't have, have if you're just kind of, this is fresh to you, new to you, you'd never read this before, you would think it's incredibly, because you can pull a lot of scriptures that do make it sound like if you take them out of context and cherry-pick verses, you can make it a really, really good case that God does predestine some people to hell. And But you have to take all of Scripture together, plus you've got to take the church's teaching office, and and, and that, that, that's part of the, the picture, part of the, the puzzle that Jesus, it's not a puzzle, but it's part of the, the gift that Jesus has bequeathed to his church, that uh, the Bible is the church's book, and and that there is this magisterium teaching office that is the official interpreter of the faith. And so um, this is exactly what Arius did, the greatest heretic in the history of the church, um, who tried to say basically that Jesus wasn't God. Uh, the Council of Nicaea really was, you know, in response to his claims. And he had basically half of the church, half of the bishops of the church went with this heresy, uh, the Arian heresy. It almost destroyed the church. And he was very good at, at using scripture to back up his claims. So we have to be really, really careful. If you take a verse out of context, it can easily become a pretext to a proof text. So it's, it's not so much an issue of translation. It's an issue of emphasis and meaning, if that makes any sense, Sandy. I don't know if it does or not, but, but I think Matthew's just trying to, I, he's basically saying, I think Mark really meant this, you know, as he's uh, presenting Jesus' teaching on this. So I hope that helps. I hope that helps. So thank you for that call, Sandy. Uh, call back. Anytime you're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Well, our good friend Patrick Alog, and I'm going to bring him into the studio. He's sitting in producing, guest producing tonight for Jim Shaper. He sent me an interesting piece, and you too can be a shadow producer of the show by sending me a cool article at kale at relevantradio.com. That's the email address. You can send it to my Twitter account at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And this is a really interesting article. Some of you guys have been watching this. I know I've been kind of you know, keeping one eye on it, uh, the Women's World Cup that's happening right now. Not, not a whole lot going on on the sporting calendar right now, so it's a good time slot uh, in the year for this to be happening. 
Australia, New Zealand. The games are on if you want to watch them live at Strange Times uh, in North America. But the American team had a, a bit of a scare against the the Dutch yesterday. Won one to nothing. Um, kept going. Those are the two finalists last time. But the other American team it was one one. It was a one one draw. Sorry, thank you, Patrick, for mentioning that in my ear. Um, the other American team, quote unquote, is actually the team from the Philippines. Now, here's a clip from their recent game. Okay, so that was for the winning goal from their one nothing victory over one of the host countries. Again, this tournament is kind of uh, co-hosted by New Zealand and Australia. That was the one uh, nothing victory by the Philippine squad over New Zealand. Now, they had lost their opening game 2 nothing to Switzerland. They did score in that game, but it was called back on an offside play uh, play call. But uh, they did win one nothing in their latest uh, match, if you will. And, and I read an interesting piece which Patrick sent to me, and it was uh, on Yahoo Sports, written by Henry Bushnell. Bushnell. And it was it was called The Making of America's Other Women's World Cup Team, the Philippines. And it's, it's such an interesting story about how 18 of the 23 players on the Philippines squad are, were actually born in the United States. Of course, there are Four, over 4 million Americans that have Filipino uh, heritage, ancestry, and there are many, many more. Uh, of course, the, uh, the the Filipino diaspora across the world. And so um, a lot of people are cheering for uh, the Philippines and America as maybe they're, they're s- the second team that they're rooting for, especially given that there's so many actual Americans on the team. How did this happen? How in the world did this happen? How did they become good enough to make it to the World Cup. The, the, the Philippine program was kind of in shambles for years. For some years, they wouldn't even play a game. Uh, they lost 21 nothing to China a few years ago in a tournament. So how did they get from there to being in the World Cup and actually getting their first victory, notching their first win? It, it's really intriguing, and it actually started with a couple of American guys who have Filipino ancestry. Uh, one guy's name is Mark Mangune, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but Mark Mangune, he, he worked in the telecom industry, and he's from Michigan, and after work every day, he would sort of go on the internet and he would try to figure out who might be a great uh, woman American soccer player who, ha- who might have some Filipino ancestry. <laughs> And one of those people is a current member of the team, Sophia Harrison. And she got a message from this guy, Mark, on Instagram back in 2017. And she thought it was, quote unquote, a little sketchy. Like, who is this guy? At the time, she was a freshman at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. And this random dude, Mark Mangune, messages her and says, Hey, have you ever considered playing for the Philippine national team? What? Uh, So... It's really intriguing. So he's kind of working out of his basement. And then there's another guy who lives in the Chicagoland area, Butchie Empolito. And uh, Butchie is no doubt not his given name. Uh, there's lots of Filipino nicknames out there. And let me bring in Patrick Alog right now. Do you have a Filipino nickname, Patrick? Yes, but I don't know if and, I want to. I, could, I mean, it's not like a bad word. Do you want to share it with our like listeners? <laughs> well, it's more like just, parent, it's just the nickname that my parents use. No one else uses it, though. 
Um, so I don't know. Well, keep that a secret for now. Um, you know, whatever. Uh, my parents call me Putch. Putch. But okay, then again, now, no now, one said. America it's, knows. It's, but it's not like 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 the other person, uh, Butchie, where that's that's what people call him. Everybody here pretty okay. much calls you Patrick or you know yep. or something like that. But uh, that's so, just so a nickname Putch. my parents say. That's only my parents say it. And sorry, okay, Kale, yeah, we've yeah. known long en- each uh, enough where you'll you, you don't call me that. Okay, so I can't call you Putchy. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. I promise I won't. I promise I won't. But uh, yeah, it, there's a lot of Filipino nicknames, and uh, my wife uh, comes from a Filipino background as well. She was born in Canada, born in North America, uh, but uh, I don't think she has any nicknames. But um, at, at any rate, call in. What's the best Filipino nickname that you heard? That you've heard? Maybe maybe you've got one that's really good. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. But I, I think it was an interesting story because this guy Butchie and Polito who also works in IT in Chicagoland, he is also, essentially these two American guys essentially anointed themselves as the general managers, the co-general managers of the Philippine national team. They basically just went online, and because of their love of the sport and their, their love of the Philippines, they were, they, were, they were big soccer fans, were despondent at how bad the, the national team was in the Philippines, and said, so we want to do something about this. So they, they somehow got connected with one another, and they just started going through all kinds of youth soccer players, college players online, trying to figure out who might come from a Filipino background. They look at the names uh, and say, maybe, maybe, you know, they have a Filipino parent or a grandparent. And, and they would sort of reach out to these players. And sometimes they were wrong, sometimes they were right, but they amassed a database of over 800 players. And they basically got permission from the Philippine national team to to have tryouts, which they did in Southern California, and construct a team. It's incredible. When you think about how much money is spent, Patrick, national soccer programs, especially in Europe, and also, I guess you could say, in the Americas as well, the Canadian team being the Olympic champions, the, the American team winning you know several World Cups, obviously. Uh, soccer is a big deal. So there's these two guys and the Internet in their basement basically constructed a national team i i think it's an, an incredible story i don't know what you think yeah Patrick. it's it, it's amazing how uh, it's almost like a, a grassroots campaign just start you know just just brought this up and it's amazing where it is today but yeah i wonder if it's going to give uh inspiration to like other i was going to say to other uh uh countries uh or heritages yeah. here in the united states as well yeah, that's an interesting question, and and I think one of the things the article says is that their end game ultimately is they're hoping that the success of this current edition of the Philippine national team will inspire back home in the Philippines the National Soccer Federation to get their act together at the grassroots level and try to get more homegrown players. Hopefully, it'll inspire them to play. And it's interesting because uh, a lot of people do, like just reading the comments uh, to the story, some people have a problem with this. And, and I don't know how you guys feel as listeners. You can call in 888-914-9149. Some went as far as to say that these players, these young women, are betraying America. If they're naturalized Americans, they're born as Americans, they're American citizens, and they're playing for another country in a sporting event. This is a betrayal of the United States. Do you, how do you feel about that, Patrick? Do you think that's too much? Yeah, that's 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 way too much. Um, I, you know, for the, for I was gonna say if if now if they had the choice to represent like the Philippines or U.S., you know, but still, it's not. I don't think it's a betrayal at all. Yeah, yeah. you know, because I know if I was in that situation, it would be tough. Personally, I would probably still choose the U.S. 
But if, let's say I wasn't good enough for the U.S. team, mm-hmm. I will represent the Philippines. You could. You might get the call. I don't know. I, Butch, that's one of the Butch reasons. Might call you for that's the one of the reasons team. why I wanted to curl uh, about five years ago, or ten years ago when I lived in the U.S. because I knew I wouldn't <laughs> make the U.S. curling team. I'm like, eh, we'll try the Philippines curling team. That's uh, a great. I idea. stopped playing the sport, but yeah, it's one of those things it, I've thought about. If if you know if I ever was like a good enough athlete or whatever, that's to a great idea. You go to the Olympics. Hey, I, I'm not that good for the U.S., but I'll represent the Philippines, and I know it happens for other people around the uh, in other countries as well. Yeah, and and I gotta say, like I have some Irish heritage. If if the, you know, uh, unfortunately I'm not a great skater, but if the if there was a, a national basketball team for Ireland and they invited me to try out, I, I would definitely play. You know, I, if I could play in the Olympics, that would be that'd be great. Um, this happens all the time in various sports, uh, especially in hockey, the World Championships. You'll see Canadian and American players who aren't good enough to make their national squads play for other teams where they have some ancestral heritage, some some background. Um, I, I don't think it's a. I mean, it's not like it's a. It's a wartime situation, for goodness sakes. This is a. This is sporting events we're talking about here, uh, but passions often run high. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. So if you're a, a Filipino American and a Catholic, this is an interesting question as well. And when when you it's, I talk about this sometimes with 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 some friends, and um, I. Uh, and this could go for any group, by the way. This could go for any group, whether you come from an Italian background, whether you come from a Filipino background or an Irish background. It's intriguing. And I find when there are international sporting events like the World Cup, um, I'll tell you this. I have I have friends who are Italian Canadians, and they, they would probably cheer for Italy if Italy was playing Canada in the World Cup of soccer. Number one, Italy would probably win. Um but if it was hockey, it'd be a different story. They'd definitely go for Canada. But I think in America, I, I don't think I don't think no matter what your background is, you would ever cheer against the United States. I just that's my feeling. That's my feeling. I, for me, I probably I, rare. For me, I don't know because Philippines never plays America in anything. <laughs> so I've never really been in that situation. Um, yeah. I guess it depends on the sport too. And I'd be like, well, at least one of my teams will win. Yeah. But that's that's interesting. Here's another thing too. It's also an interesting question to, and sometimes my 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 friends and family members from a Filipino background. I mean, here here's an interesting question: What's most important to you in your identity? Is it is it being Catholic? Is it being an American? Is it being from a Filipino background? How would you rank those three things? That's that's another interesting interesting question as well. Do you have to rank them? Um, just a thought, but I just thought it was a really interesting story. These two guys who have a passion for this in America from a Filipino background, they are Americans, and they essentially constructed the Philippine national women's soccer team on the Internet, recruited players. And now there's so many – this has become such a big deal. They have to turn people away. Uh, when they had tryouts in Southern California, they, in Corona, California, I think, they, they had – they were hoping 15 girls might show up. They had over 150 show up, and now people are actively submitting resumes. They don't even have to advertise for this anymore. It's really kind of a cool story. It's almost like you know fantasy football or fantasy sports in real life happening, uh, and, it, and it's a great story. And I hope the team continues to do well. I love your take on this. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We will be right back on the Gale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? 
Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the program. Here's the number to call, 888-914-9149. You can email the show, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And find me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Let's go to the phones right now. Once again, that number, 888-914-9149. Call in, have a take. Let's go to Don in the Chicago area. Hi, Don. Hi. Um, you know, I was just listening to you say something about how do you identify more as, you know, American, Catholic, mm-hmm. your nationality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, I always thought of myself first. You know, you, know, you always think American because you're patriotic, grow up in this country. Mm-hmm. But with everything going on in politics over the last few years, uh, I heard, you know, I heard one, a movie star, uh, an actress, uh, she so plays the mom on Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, oh, Patricia lady. Heaton. Patricia Heaton. Yeah. Big Catholic. And she said, you know, don't be upset about elections. Governments come and go, but your faith will be there forever. Mm. And something like that. I, I can't be exact in the words, but and who do you turn to when you have all this crazy political stuff going on is your faith. So now, I got to tell you, I think of myself as more Catholic than anything else. Rather than go out and buy a shirt that says American, American flag, not that I'm not proud of it. Right. I'd rather buy something with a little cross on it. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, I think I think Don, you're probably your views are probably shared by many uh, listening to the program right now. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. And like you said, it doesn't mean that you're not patriotic. It doesn't mean that you're not proud to be an American by any stretch of the imagination. And that that's one of the the things that Catholics have had to endure for generations, for hundreds of years. People always questioned where Catholics' true loyalties. You know, would lie, uh, especially. I mean, most people of a certain vintage would remember John F. Kennedy's election as president, the first Catholic president of the United States. That was one of the uh, the big barbs that his enemies would throw against him, saying, "You know, you're going to be a puppet of the Vatican. Are you really loyal to the United States of America?" So, and obviously, Catholics uh, should be patriotic, properly understood. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, I think, as the Bible says, you know, don't put your trust in princes. We need to put our trust uh, in, in the Lord of the universe. And so um, it doesn't mean that you're not patriotic, but I think people, more and more people are maybe changing their view on what's most important to them. And obviously our faith uh, has to come first. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show, 888 Thank you, Don, for that call, Don in Chicago. And Patrick, you were kind of saying, too, to me that that, that, that was the case for you, too, recently, that you kind of came to this realization. Oh, yes, that I'm... To be honest, I'm Catholic first, then American. I don't know what other people might think about that, but yeah, I, I'm I'm Catholic first. That's okay. actually what I put like in my bio and stuff: Catholic, then American, and I actually put Filipino as well. Filip- yep. Proud Filipino American. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and uh, and that's it. And and uh, I think that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. And and, and not that the, not that these things are you know in competition with one another most of the time that they're not and most of the time we don't have to make a choice uh, for our faith or and against our country or anything like that it never comes down to that usually but um but certainly um i think people are being more and more disillusioned by by the political process and what's going on politically uh in the united states having said that uh the american experiment is still 
very, very relevant, and there's nothing like it. I don't think there's anything like it in the world today. And also, just really quickly before we go, I did want to um, acknowledge what a lot of people are talking about, uh, the death of the famous Irish singer or the infamous Irish singer, uh, Sinead O'Connor, uh, who passed away yesterday at the very, very young age of 56. And I'm not sure what the cause of death was, but she did have a lot of issues in her life. She was a very troubled soul. I think we should all pray for her repose. Most famous, first of all, for her musical talent. She was an incredible singer-songwriter, no matter what you think of her. She was loaded with talent. And, of course, everybody remembers that that prime hit of hers, which was actually a song written by Prince. Nothing compares to you with the, with the number two and the letter U. Very Prince thing to do. Here's a clip. We all know the song, but here's the chorus. And Patrick's pulling it up uh, right now. We all, we all remember this, and we also remember, a lot of us remember what happened on the set of Saturday Night Live in 1992, when at the, the end of a song that she was performing, it was actually a, sort of her take on a Bob Marley song called War, uh, she took out a picture of St. John Paul II, who was Pope at the time, obviously, and tore it up in a whole bunch of pieces and threw it on the ground and said, fight the real enemy. And she... That was that essentially railroaded her career. Um, why did she do that? Well, the reason why she did that was because she was well aware, and the, the world was only starting to become aware of the extent of the abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. In Ireland, she already knew about that. Uh, that was being all uncovered, and the rest of the world would, would soon follow suit. And uh, she was roundly criticized for that. And she also herself had been a victim of abuse by her mom, uh, in various ways, not necessarily in that way, but uh, she had a pretty rough childhood and uh, suffered a lot and, and had a lot of spiritual confusion uh, throughout her life. Um, so, yeah, but her Catholicism never really left her. Even though she left the church, became a minister in a sort of a quasi-Christian sect and eventually converted to Islam, she still had a tattoo of Jesus. And, and really, the Catholic faith was... She she is Catholic. She was Catholic. And let's pray for the repose of her soul that somehow uh, at the end uh, that she turned to the Lord. And uh, even at the 11th hour. And so we, we got to pray, whether it's now, later. Don't wait. Don't wait. That's the thing. Hardening hearts. You don't want to do it, as Jesus talked about in the gospel today. This has been the Kale Clark Show. Patrick Alock sitting in for Jim Shaper producing today. Young Thomas took your phone calls. See you later. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.